this whole idea of Parmatma and Atma, if you were to look at it from a very scientific perspective, obviously that's not you know, all the way possible all the time. Um, but uh, it goes back to the, and the reason I'm asking this question is because in physics, for instance, uh, we have been trying to go to the very kind of fundamental block, the building block, so to say, uh, we've been looking at the particles, the you know the quarks and gluons and so on, and we have reached a kind of a plateau of sorts. We have reached a dead end in a certain manner of speaking, uh, because we now have a whole plethora of elementary particles, um, and the experiments that we have are not yet kind of giving us uh, any new insight as, as it stands uh, into how that can be unified, right? How that can be uh, brought under one conceptual umbrella. Moving away from Ayurveda a little, uh, you have also lately explored the realm of reality at its most fundamental. Uh, and this includes your work on conceptualizing shunyata right, in terms of quantum physics. And this is right up my uh, alley, so to say. Um, so in your chapter on shunyata in the book, Quantum Reality and the Theory of Shunya, uh, you say that space is a product of the Big Bang singularity, but it can be posited that the Big Bang singularity itself uh, is a state before which everything was pure existence and consciousness or anidavatam. And in modern scientific parlance, um, what do you mean by this uh, whole idea of space emerging from pure existence and consciousness? So I, I, I'm, I, I'm trained spectroscopist, right? right? I normally right. <laughs> jump into that I, I, because I, I explore. I mean, I can. I mean, spectroscopy is really the way to look at. I mean, spectroscopy of various things. Yeah. You know, looking at the uh, the vibrational or oscillational, translational, some kind of motions. Right. And so, so the, in, in Rig Veda, it says everything was still. Yes. Now, when it, everything is still, there is no way you see it. That doesn't mean it doesn't exist. Right. You know, it, it's like, you know, sometimes, I mean, when I was little, you know, sometimes we'll do something that we don't want to be noticed, so then we'll just still, you know, nobody knows, you know, as long as, so, so the, this, this entire universe yeah. also can go still. Right. I mean, there was a, there is a, there was a physicist, I, I don't know whether they still have in Princeton, mm -hmm. where they were, they were not talking about this big bang right. and you, and uh, arrow of time. They were talking about uh, oscillating universe. Yes. So what we are seeing is, is con contraction and expansion, contraction and expansion, which is more like what they talk about in Indian cosmology. Yes. So, yes. so there is a concept of things not moving and then moving. Now, I, you can define that move as oscillation, translation, or vibration. And this is where uh, we try to, to think about it. Now, in, in terms of sunyata, you know, I, I have delved into this whole idea just to make an argument to, pe to people. You know, the other kind of uh, there, there are people who question it by using and, and, and never rightly they question it. I don't have any objection to that. But they kind of come up with question like, what is that? You know, zero means nothing. Well, yeah, ultimately it goes to nothing. Everything goes to nothing. I mean, if it doesn't move, you it's nothing for you. If you're if you don't move, you're nothing for anybody. Yes. You're dead yeah. because you didn't move. Yeah. So it's kind of easy to understand. Now, mathematically, uh, I find it very fascinating that zero and infinity, right. and which is what I try to, to, to write into that one rationally in my article. And I'm still very fascinated with that. Actually, I asked a question yesterday to an engineer yeah. uh, from IIT Kharagpur. What is infinity minus infinity? Right. I mean, you probably know this. It's indeterminate. You don't yes, know. Yes, of course. Yeah, it's indeterminate. Yeah. So, now, but in, in reality, I tell you what in infinity, you can see it. Yeah. You can see infinity, which is what the, some of these Vaidyas, Ayurveda, Rishi, Munis, Sages, 
they they are more practical here this is where biology is better than physics i'm sorry about uh, you know your field is physics so <laughs> our, our physics can learn something from biology right right if you really i and i i define this i think i've written an article or at least say i wrote a poem in english actually uh, about the a daughter yeah. is infinite because daughter can produce perfect daughter and remains a daughter mm-hmm. so and there is so you you have infinite potential in daughter and it produces another infinite and remains infinite right. so infinity minus infinity remains infinity which is by the way is purnamidha 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 chate i mean you in physics it makes no sense but in biology it makes sense so approaching these things from biological system yeah. is better i'm rationally i'm talking about maybe you will agree with me and which would mean then the you're talking about the consciousness the concept of sunnata it's up to me i i can get into the sunyas whatever senses that i want to talk about let's say sensory sunya yeah. so, i mean i there is a in i in in yoga there is a concept of pratyahar yes pratyahar so you have yam niyam asan pranayam then you have pratyahar and i see yam niyam asan pranayam is to know everything as much as you one could know and then he say that's it i'm now all the thing that i knew i can give it up it's like you have you know a lot of people have no money but that is very different than people who have lots of money and give it up so that is the the difference in sunya and infinity by the way you know you get every possible damn thing and then bring it to zero so the zero has a connection to now infinity and that so that's just a biologically and socially you can connect this this mathematically i'm sure you connect i mean i i wrote like they used to have a dot i i read about it that they uh, the zero was not referred uh, written like this it was just an infinitesimally small dot which has no shape no space that was supposed to be like that that zero we kind of understand that there is nothing there obviously the by definition but now they they did this circular thing and there is no there is no end and beginning of that also right. so that also in another infinite so zero is really the mother of absolutely. infinite absolutely. wonderfully put yeah um so very specifically in that in that formulation you speak about you know the quantum void essentially and that is something uh, you know which i have studied extensively in the past few years um so the quantum field theory contemporary quantum field theory talks of uh, you know field specific vacuum right so there is a vacuum state um for the various uh, quantum fields that we have um while oriental traditions both vedanta as well as you know buddhism for that matter uh, speak of the void that is attained via negativa right or neti neti as it is popularly said so if you say that the void you have conceptualized has a certain amount of let's say uh, you know energy and specific kinds of attributes uh because the void for the vacuum at least for the quantum fields are not attribute less i mean they have certain kinds of inherent attributes which are can be excited and then you know uh, then there are various uh, particles that can come from there um so when we are speaking of this as the void that we have in ancient from ancient times uh, is it not true that that which is not described by this void right surely lies beyond its ambit right this modern void that we are talking about there are various things which are not within its ambit right so that cannot be the void that we are talking about when it comes to the ancient you know the the shunya as we are as we are kind of trying to uh, describe it uh, because um 
this is falling just short of describing that ultimate void, right? Which has, which is beyond all degrees of freedom and properties, essentially. So, how do we reconcile the two? And if he, if he can even reconcile the two, uh, because that has been something which I kind of noticed, and I wanted to ask you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, I, the first thing I wouldn't argue with a quantum physicist uh, <laughs> to try to make my point. So, I mean, I, I will learn more from you. I, I mean, this is this something like I said, spectroscopy is related to quantum. So I know, and I did teach chemistry of mind. I taught several courses yeah. in which I do use quantum. I'm not the, the expert of quantum, but I know I'm familiar with it. Now with that, um, let me delve into your question. Yes. So yeah, I think the what I think my understanding is, first of all, that as a scientist, we always try to approach things from what we know right what we don't know so we don't know i mean that could be just completely void as far as you know practical things concerned. i just don't know so but I, I approach it from what i know and can i really know that so now rationally zero is nothing let's say i assume there's nothing you know and maybe i, I can even attribute that this is ultimate void but mathematically all the negative numbers and all positive numbers come from there. Right. You, you, and you have minus one, you have plus one, and that becomes zero. You have minus two, plus two. You have minus infinity, plus infinity. They get into that, uh, even though mathematically it will be a problem, but we know physiologically or rationally it makes sense. Yes. You know what? If you can create infinite of exactly same, I mean, infinite uh, is, cannot be exactly same because then it's not infinite. Right. But if you, let's say, infinite numbers, yes we were talking about on infinite number of people infinite whatever it is and if you can do that you can get the opposites to become yes. and then now you have to create infinite number of opposites yes. and you can bring them to it goes to back to the same question that you started asking earlier can we really do the algorithm of all this stuff i mean this thing starts right from there but now in when you talk about in vedic view or buddhist view or jain's view uh it is really biology then it plays a role and i mean i say biology because that's the only thing i know i, I think it's probably more like a phil darshan right. i wouldn't call it even philosophy because philosophy stops at the level of hypothesis and assumptions and then you can make an argument but when you say darshan i only equivalent of that is that you know you do experiment and see the results right so darshan is at that level but it is talking about something that you and I do not necessarily have access right, to. Right. So it is of those people who reach that label, I'm assuming that it means there is a potential. Right. So what you're talking about is ultimate void. Right. It's not visible, but has potential. And that's just a concept. Yes. And that I'm assuming, and not because I'm not going to question this to people who have been able to get there. I have never been there. But I am assuming that there are people who can get there. There was a study, which I think I quoted in there, of uh, in 2006, published in Science magazine, about consciousness right. and unconsciousness. So I let's say everything is that we, you and I can talk about, think about, relate to, understand is consciousness. Right. Not just awareness, yeah. just you know anything that you can even imagine. And, uh, and then what is unconsciousness, whatever is left. And what in this experiments, this thing, they did, you know, buying car. When there are four features, like maybe color, maybe the engine power, maybe the 
the size of the car and whatever, and, and the seats, let's say four things. People make conscious decisions. And then they made 12 features, you know, the pedal, the, the, the light size, and they said, whatever, you just can imagine 12 items. Then they went by unconscious, this is whatever the gut feeling. So this is, that means there is a, this exists, but I don't know, which you don't know what you might call at the very extreme of it, the ultimate voids, which is a governing, because at least at this very small scale, 12 versus uh, four, four is conscious, 12 is unconscious, which I'm now going to refer to it at the very simple baby step void, right, right. because there's something that you are not aware of it, but it happens. It has a potential for to affect right. us. And I think this connects directly to, you know, the most fundamental question, I think, which uh, people who belong both to the modern Occidental kind of, you know, way of thinking and the, you know, the, the ancient uh, Oriental or Indic way of thinking, um, because so the idea that, you know, reality itself at the most fundamental uh, is often said to be beyond space, time, and causality, right? As we know it, it's been mentioned in the Upanishads, it's been mentioned elsewhere as well. And uh, even in the Rig Veda, for that matter, in the, you know, the Nasadya Sukta, for instance, it talks about uh, the final kind of demolition of the binary, right? They say that that which exists, uh, that which neither exists nor not exists, essentially. Right? So there, there, is that, there is that transcendence, transcending that, that final barrier as well. Uh, and whereas in modern times, obviously, there is what is known as accessible empiricism. Right? So uh, now the methods to go beyond right, in the oriental traditions um, are suggested to be experiential. Right? That's the whole idea. And in terms of the modern scientific framework, it's purely speculative for, for quite a few, most, I mean, uh, scientists for that matter. So how do we even kind of think or begin with reconciling these, you know, this fundamental barrier in validation of the same, right? Because uh, even if we were to see the most uh, advanced, uh, you know, experimental setup today, right? Let's say in, in, in physics uh, with the Large Hadron Collider, where you're colliding particles at very high energy, that is still a small fraction of what the universe's, you know, energy at the very beginning of time, let's say, at the, at the, at the Big Bang was essentially, and we could, may, we may not be able to reach there any at any point in time, essentially, right? So we cannot possibly have an accessible, uh, you know, empirical kind of validation of the same. But we have got this tradition that has told us all these aspects. So this whole reconciliation is is a very difficult subject to kind of, you know, delve with and address. So I would like to know your views on on this matter. Very, very fascinating, actually, uh, aspect that I'm also very interested in. And I have opinion yeah. because, you know, one of the, the fundamental uh, greatness that uh, I have experienced in my life is that I get students. <laughs> so when you have a student, then you, have, you can't tell that I don't know. Yes. I mean, you have to tell something. Yeah. And so you come up with some ideas about explaining all this. And so I think the way I approach this, there's multiple ways to approach this. Well, first of all, we just assume that these people who, whatever they have gotten, they got from somewhere because it's already, that is exist. That's verifiable yeah. that, that they, they have come up ideas and many of these ideas at some level can be tested. Not all of them, many of yeah. them can be tested. Ayurveda is one of those examples of that. And, you know, yoga is an example of that. Now the, the question is how do we now approach the ultimate one? So you have to follow, there is a methodology. If I want to learn about physics, I have to train under some physicists, right? And, and the training is not enough. Although unfortunately these days people get PhD degree and they somehow they think that is the accomplishment. 
that is the beginning of the whatever you, you would imagine that there will be accomplishment. I mean, I, I will be petrified if my students, uh, all they learn in my lab, and that's all they are going to retain all their life. I will be yes. petrified. That's many times people in India, particularly, they think they got PhD, now that's it. You know, they're all, all, all set yes. with that. So, so then, then, the, the, then the question of how to approach is to learn, be, be trained, and pursue it which is very, uh, very commonly known in everything that we, we do, other than, you know, some lazy people who don't want to do something. Most people who really are curious, they will pursue it their own way. Now, the question then is that what I see, how would you verify it? Right. What exactly. I see, how would you yes. verify yes. it? Yeah. Uh, so they have actually, uh, from what I understand the tradition, and I kind of, I mean, I do yoga. I mean, the part of the reason I started all this is because uh, with somebody who did not believe in yoga at all. Right. I mean, I did not want even to listen to these people that who were telling me right. yoga. I thought science is it, and we are chemists, and we know everything, and we are going to explain everything. But in two, 99, uh, 1999 and 2000, I learned about yoga. And uh, some of the stuff that I'm telling today, and actually I started chemistry of mind class in 2001. Once I learned a little bit about yoga, I was convinced. So... I, and I wanted to explore, and I'm a professor, so the way to explore intellectually is really do it, practice it. And so I think that it needs to be practiced. And then how, I mean, your, your question was alluding to the conceptually, the verifiability yes. of one from the other. And conceptually, what is it? So I, I mean, in Indian tradition, it's like very simple, in my opinion. It says, aham brahmasmi. Now you have to become it. And when, again, mathematically, if you are Brahm and I'm Brahm, and which means you are no different than I am, uh, to you, you cannot have, uh, you cannot imagine the Balram thing is different than Mrityanjaya. You have to, uh, you have to see. Now, if you really think about that, you, you can get gist of these things. The, in, it gets gist of these things in families. You get gist of things in the society. You get gist of the things in the, on the whole planet. You get gist of this in the whole universe. You can get there. Yeah. And then, and that is the clue. That uh, Can you do that? Can I really feel like Mrityanjaya is the same as, as I am? If I could do that, that will be possible. Now, I, I let me uh, plug in a little bit of my family background. Right. I come from a joint family. And in joint family, we are seventh generation. Okay. We are living together. Wow. Seventh generation. Try to find that Mrityanjaya. Right. Somewhere, Absolutely. that's un five generations, unheard, unheard of in today's times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I have some ideas from practical experience and observations. Right. My my brother would never play, carry, buy anything, take care of his children. Right. It was my responsibility right. as an uncle. It has been practiced all through my family. I've asked, I've talked about my father, talked about my uncle. They don't. Right. Now, what, what I'm trying to say with this, they attach, you know, my son is not just my, your son is my son also. Right. I have to feel the same way. This is a practical training in Indian society. Right. Now, they, in, 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 that's why they call parahit, paramarts. Yeah. Means yeah. others yeah. is important. Yeah in practice so that you can feel someday I can, I would, you know, socially, at least I'm, I'm the same. I'm considering you to be the same. We all consider e each other's mothers as mothers. Yeah. It's very, very important in the society. 
and there is a story uh, in, in, in Indian Puranas about how Brahma once uh, people were upset, you know, the, the Asuras and Asuras were, Asuras were upset that they are not treated that well. And Brahmaji invited, just to tell very, very quickly, he invited them for dinner and he, he tied a, a stick in their hand and said that you, whosoever eats fast without wasting food will be the, the winner. And, and Rakshasas or Asuras, they tried to eat, but you know, they made a big mess of it. And the other side, they fed each other. And what I'm just telling in my family, I have seen practice. Now, this is the first step of connecting to each other. And, but that's just the only first baby step. The reality is that, you know, today I'm talking to you as a physicist and I'm trying to learn something from you. And I'm a chemist and whatever knowledge I have, you are trying to learn something. So then bees respect each other and unite. And eventually, so I think I am trying to give the very social, biological, family uh, way how we can be the same. You know, the, the when Basudhayu Kutumbakam, you know, when uh, I am Nija Paroveti Ganana Laguchet Sam, means if I am saying that I am this and you are different, then it is people who are narrow minded. So from there to Aham Brahmasmi is a journey that I think people have to, people should pursue. I would suggest that scientists get trained in this process. <laughs> scientists should get every, my, my view is that every, like I was, when I was a graduate student, I don't know about you, you went to Cambridge, right? So I don't know in, in US at that time, there was a requirement of foreign language. Right. And you had to learn foreign language. Why? Because there is some knowledge in foreign language. In today, I think to become a scientist, you should be a certified yoga <laughs> because then you have to have this detached view because you want you want to be objective yeah. why you want to be objective because so that you don't want to be biased and but you but that means you have convinced yourself that i'm going to be biased yeah. that's why objective but if you can be subjective and object uh, uh, and unbiased which unbiased means i consider you the same as i am and i think that's and that's how i think the, the process that you're talking about that is how the process perhaps very, can begin yeah, that's a very important point because i think that's the truly scientific process i mean there are a lot of people who have even in the scientific world for that matter there are a lot of people who have a certain idea a set pattern a set idea a almost dogmatic kind of you know uh, inclination towards a certain framework and without having uh, extensively kind of looked at it searched for it uh, and proven it you know which is technically the scientific uh, way uh, they assume that that is a certain subset, maybe, let's say, can cannot be uh, the right theory, let's say, right? So I think in that manner, I mean, uh, the, the, the yoga and the Ayurvedic and the Indic kind of traditions have the truly scientific way of, you know, pursuing truth, uh, if, if you were to put it in that manner. Um, you speak of complex matter by self-organization in nature as well in one of your works. And this is obviously very interesting to our viewers and to all of us because uh, this year's Nobel Prize for Physics also has gone to, uh, you know, somebody who has worked on complex matter. Um, so I myself have been looking at self-organization and the manner in which it happens. Uh, but even before we go into the idea of self-organization, something that is very important is to understand what is the axiomatic, almost essential basis for the universe as you conceptualize it, right? So is it an entity? Is it a principle? Is it a process, right? And what self-organizes, right? And why does it self-organize? Uh, and most importantly, can we even speak of a why uh, for the self-organization in the first place, right? So I would like to know your views on that. <laughs> you mean you're talking about 
practical material things uh, and formulations yes. or everything? Yeah, at, at, the fine, at, the, at the fundamental level of reality, I mean, if you were to think of everything, the multiplicity arising from this uh, idea of self-organization, um, what is the axiomatic basis or the starting point, or let's say the building blocks essentially, right? Is it an entity, a principle, or a process? What self-organizes and how and why for that matter? Well, I wish I knew. Uh, sorry, yeah. <laughs> I wish I knew. Right. Uh, but but I think I mean let's just delve into some conversation about yes. it as to you know why you know things self-organize. How what is the, the destiny? Right. You know how, how they are destined yes. to certain yes. certain things. So you know we uh, a very practical example uh, which is very social yes. and maybe will make a sense. Human rights. Right. 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 So we said we are humans. Yes. And we should have certain rights because we are humans. So how did you get to be a human? How did we get? It's okay. I understand that everybody is. So there is something in the process. And that process is very, very uh, critical. Let's say there is a concept of karma. So you become human because you do certain karma. And then um, now here the idea was like, well, you know, we are just born. Yeah. We became human being. But no, no, there is a basis for that. Now it goes back to the, the discussion we have had earlier yeah. from my point of view, is that what is karma? I, I studied Jain philosophy right. because I you know I, I ran teacher training for 11 years, yeah. uh, um, high school teachers in America. Uh, and, and they were, I, I was training them about four dharmic traditions of India. And so in the process, I got uh, exposure, better exposure to these things. So Jains have this, they call Karmanu, just like yeah. Karmani, they we have a Parmanu, yeah. they have a yeah. Karmanu. And yeah. they, they, so they have, and they also have, they talk about the same thing, that vibration thing right. you were talking, we talked yes. about earlier. So now this is the Karma. So the, when you talk about something organizing, yeah. the Karma is not only about human being, we only think about human yes. being, but Karma, because vibration is in everything. Right. And so the what you, you call as self-organization, if, if that self has to be connected in philosophical Indian tradition, the yeah. self is really Atma. Self really becomes Atma. And Atma and Paramatma are connected. So the organization is, when we say self, is because of the creation. And I don't mean the creation, I mean the God was making human beings like that. I'm just talking about the, the how the process, like you were talking about earlier, uh, is oscillation is spandan is started, so that is the basis of this uh, self-organization, whatever we become. But now, why some something becomes why Mrityunjay becomes Mrityunjay, Balram Singh becomes Balram Singh? How is that related to that? Well, it is related to karma and the the krida or lila of this. That is the nature of that to do this. Why do why does that happen? That happens because that is the only way we realize. When I say we, means whatever that it is, it, it realizes that it exists. Like, you know, if unless I get up in the morning, I don't exist. You know, people won't know me. Right. So I have organized myself in such a way that people see me. Right. Because I get up and call, you know, I picked up uh, uh, on your connection. and I, Otherwise, you will say, well, what happened to him? It didn't exist. So I organized myself uh, in this sense. So that you can see me. Right. So that also organizes what is that, whatever that is, 
just the, the one that is the same as we say namaste that one <laughs> whatever that parmatma then atma and parmatma are connected and the game is to realize self realize and that's why self organizing right but i mean in this in this whole idea of parmatma and atma if you were to look at it from a very scientific perspective obviously that's not you know all the way possible all the time um but uh it goes back to the and the reason i'm asking this question is because in physics for instance uh we have been trying to go to the very kind of fundamental block the building block so to say uh, we have been looking at the particles the you know the quarks and gluons and so on and we have reached a kind of a plateau of sorts we have reached a dead end in a certain manner of speaking uh because we now have a whole plethora of elementary particles um and the experiments that we have are not yet kind of giving us uh, any new insight as, as it stands uh, into how that can be unified right how that can be uh, brought under one conceptual umbrella um so the whole idea of um, you know what is self organizing in a very kind of physicalist obviously that may not be possible because even within physics there are uh, theories of you know higher dimensions for instance right which cannot be accessed within our 3 plus 1 dimensions within our spatial and time dimensions um, but i um, mean still there is there is this whole thing about there being some signs or some traces of that uh, in our physical universe itself so that is why i was very interested in knowing about it uh, you state that consciousness right and you uh, you speak about that in a fair few of your you know essays and writings uh, consciousness is a general concept of existence of any and all things known and unknown and is universal right so um i'm very curious to know how do you describe and con- quantify consciousness right uh, especially of things like you know an inanimate object for instance right can you even do that and um are you trying to equate consciousness to uh, let's say complexity right like there are some theories in modern science uh, like the integrated information theory um which tries to look at the complexification the complexities of the body and the and the system so are you equating that to the, to 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 the complexity and how do you describe it for an inanimate object and so on fascinating fascinating question so so i there are so multiple uh, approaches you know even even to go back to your earlier uh, the, the idea of you know how the how self organization happens yeah. um how how you know we have our only our lens right. we know we like to see everything from what we know what we can feel and maybe even we may even agree now physics i'll come to this uh, consciousness thing i just want to address the other question that you have in physics the language of physics is mathematics really and in mathematics i when i learned my simple calculus integration it says integration of everything from minus infinity to plus infinity yeah. and that's how of course then we say x1 x2 yes. so because we limit ourselves so our understanding of even self organization is by self you know what we think we can understand we, most of the time it is our per- perceptions you know the sensory perceptions which is very limiting uh, this will then lead you know one more point and then i'll get to the other other question that you have one more point is that i have a, a friend of mine uh, who is a parapsychologist and he told me a story uh a, a, an event there was a professor in rutger university some scientists came to give a talk and he asked something about science right. and I, i i kind of think that he told me that was a nobel laureate or somebody but you know somebody very prominent yes. scientist and he asked the audience how many of you work do your research based on some hypothesis right. and when i write to nih grant i had to write my hypothesis right. Right. all of them raised and so he said 
So now none of you are a scientist <laughs> because you are already biased. Right, right, absolutely. With the moment you have hypothesis, you are biased. So the whole idea of looking at anything else is based on what we are trying to. That's what you are saying. The physicist is trying to find out yeah. based on what we yeah. think. Unless you become what it is, you know, you are willing to do, yeah. which is what we have been talking about earlier. You know, and when void and you know get to the zero and infinite, whatever. Uh, absolute void, the essential void, the very beginning of the void. You, I have to get there. I cannot force everything to come to me, which is what our ahamkara is, our ego is, and that we are trying to understand. Now, going back to your question about um, the consciousness of whatever it is. Well, if you really talk about vibration, then everywhere it is. You know, I have vibration. Every stone has vibration. No problems. That that will be a common thing to say. Talk about consciousness, and that's very very easy. Everything is a consciousness because everything, nothing is exists. Even the nuclear, there is a nuclear motion. Electron, there is electron motion. The quarks also most, uh, moving, and they, you may the whole quantum idea comes from there because you, you don't know where this is going to be. You know, the all kind of uncertainty principle and everything. So I think that's where the idea is in about in consciousness. But the consciousness that we normally define to ourselves is awareness. Now, my awareness of a coronavirus is absolutely zero unless I start coughing. And that may not even be that. But a dog, a dog can be trained today. Actually, the best diagnostic tool right now we have is a dog. Right. And it can, uh, it, it can identify 10 molecules of not corona, but corona created molecules in somebody's body. Right. So it can smell and say this person is, is, uh, is infected right. and 10 molecules, there is no way RT-PCR can do that. Right. Mm -hmm. So what I'm saying is the consciousness or awareness, it's, as, as people think, is very different. A snake cannot hear, yeah. but can feel the vibrations. Right. So a, a snake's uh, awareness is vibration. I and you may not be able to feel vibrations at all unless you know something is really very loud. So that this is kind of very, very gross level at the very subtle level. Consciousness is the, even the unconsciousness is a consciousness because we know that there is unconsciousness and that can be um, uh, playing a major role. And now this can be, you know, life is in, you know, science, I, I feel, and I think we should, we should um, posit this idea that science is something to be pursued not to achieve because the moment you achieved said i achieved this well there is more to go and if you said that i achieved this and i got it and that's it that means you're not a scientist because a science neti neti you just said you know earlier in in one of our your questions neti neti actually proves because because neti neti actually you were talking about controls actually neti neti is only control right you you ultimately run all the controls and you find out oh that's me <laughs> not that not, not that not that not that and you know I have I have some some ideas I think we would like to create some kind of epistemology yes. science differently than what it is right now and that I mean Schrodinger has tried to do that uh, Niels Bohr tried to do some of those things and in in modern modern times Penrose and other people are trying to do that. I think that what is lacking and maybe relevant to your program is why not Indian scientists do this? Sir J.C. Bose was, yes, was. was the last one I remember, maybe the first and the last one in modern times, 
who really brought Indian tradition and sold it to people. Like, look, this is what it is, and defined it to others. And so I think that uh, that's the only example I know. I, I mean, I, I know there are great scientists in India and, and certainly a greatest potential India has. And for a variety of reasons beyond our conversation today, uh, the topic of our conversation today, I think India has humongous potential. It's a very special country. I'm not saying it because I'm from India. I have I've lived outside and lived many, many places and I've dealt with a lot of people. And so Indian scientists should take it because you have this collaborative thing, natural collaboration from various fields, integration. We do not divide things, but if you divide things, that's fine, then integrate them. We divide only to integrate them. And if we, we use that approach, I think we will get there. At least we will get better place. I don't know whether we will get there because if we get there, then we again, we fail because we are not scientists anymore. Once you get there, you got it, then you're not scientists anymore because you have to pursue it further. So, so you raised a couple of points there. So one was on uh, uh, Roger Penrose, you mentioned, and I will come to that uh, in a bit. Uh, but even this whole idea of, um, you know, reality itself being, um, you know, something as an absolute, that, I mean, it having a, 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 an objective reality, as it is said, uh, you spoke about epistemology, but yeah, let's go at it from the ontological point of view. Um, can we even speak of reality beyond the way in which uh, you know various things can represent it so what i mean by that is is there a representational reality that we have out there a representational relational reality or do we have something which can be beyond that in terms of you know there being an absolute reality in the first place because uh, even in physics for that matter in quantum physics for that matter uh, and in ancient indic texts there have been you know this these whole disc these discussions about how the final reality Right uh, uh, is not accessible in, in in the manner of you know empiricism essentially right so when we a simple example that people often give is that when we are talking about a rose uh, we are talking about the color the you know the aroma and all of all the other attributes but are we actually describing the rose I mean is it is is the reality of the rose being represented per se so my question to you would be can we even talk about something beyond the representative nature of reality as it is accessible to us um, uh, and can we take this as an invitation to go towards the experiential side, um, which could possibly give us a window to look beyond just that, essentially? Uh, I would like to know your views on that. Yeah, yeah I, I, I agree. I think you have to, but you have to begin. So science is, a, like I said earlier, science is a good place to begin. It is not a good place to end. Right. Unfortunately, many times people, uh, I, I have this phrase I made up. Right. Uh, just a couple of weeks ago, that we know 10 to the power minus 50, 50 yeah. percent yeah. of what the, the world is. Right. Now, right. somebody says, how do you know? <laughs> Why? Well, I, I said, you proved me wrong. <laughs> <laughs> so we know very little. Yes. Yes. Our yes. problem is that we know very, I mean, it can be proven. You know, the 10 to the power minus 50 percent is, I can prove it by mathematically. The how much we know, how many molecules are, how many uh, vibrations are there, whatever, you know, the whole galaxy, I can, I think I'm overestimating our knowledge, 10 point minus 15, 50% is overestimation. So, so then we really do not know, but that doesn't mean we should not begin. We can begin to know. So ontologically, obviously this world exists, ontologically, we don't know. Ontologically, we don't know. I think if we start from there, then epistemology will start. Right. And epistemology should not be limited to one way. Right. Just like science should not be limited to only 
physics or chemistry or biology. I mean, these things were not even known a couple hundred years ago. They were not known. They were people had very different way of, of knowing, you know, when when the in the, this herbal medicine has been there for thousands of, the Bhasma has been there thousands of years. Nobody knew this chemistry. They had their own way of, you know, their own epistemology, right. their own way of testing like floating things and putting in the finger and see how, whether it fits in the line between the lines. They had their own ideas about it. But the, but the basis of that, even how did that start? It starts with the sense. Yeah. You know, you say the rose, yes. you know, the plants. I, I and you look at the plant differently than a Vaidya will look at. And an animal will look at it. You know, the, the, I, I've been very fascinated because we use animals in our, in our science. Right. We use animals and we kill them. And, you know, <laughs> we kill them in a sense because they have toxin we are working with, you know, make sure that whether they're dying or not dying. But I, I was very fascinated how the Vaidya people right. did it. You know, how did they develop the, this whole uh, product line, you know. They use their senses. And they also, somebody told me in Banaras Hindu University, once I was visiting, that they also did animal studies. I said, what do you mean? They did, they observed animals. Oh, right, right. They didn't, they didn't treat them with the stuff that they wanted to. Yeah. They observed animals. Uh, when animal gets sick, yeah. then it doesn't eat. The first thing it starts, we're talking about earlier about microbiome and the stomach being the problem, a problem and solution of everything. Yes. The, the, the animal knows it automatically knows it. And animal, so they said that they observed the, these, many of these Vaidyas, they observed animals. They learned from animals. Right. You know, in Indian tradition, there is a tradition of worshipping animals. Right. There is a tradition of worshipping plant, plants. There is a tradition of worshipping organisms. Right. And there is a tradition of worshipping worshiping nothing. Right. <laughs> whatever whatever else is left, Absolutely. you know, just in case. <laughs> you know, what a great idea of, you know, epistemology, a practical behavior, learning, practicing, and preaching, right. you know, telling people. And you know, there are many people who in India traditionally, a lot of things are still being done. What is that plant has? Yeah. Well, in Ayurvedic philosophy, from what I understand, and I'm trying to practice right. it. I have actually, I've created an app right. in my village. And we are, we are trying to divide this whole world according to Ayurvedic uh, map. Oh. We are making an Ayurvedic map because because as a biologist in me, we, I, ha, I work with cranberry plants here locally. You know, the ocean spray is here only 25 miles away from here, from my campus. And so I, I interacted with them. They had invited me. I started the whole gambit of things. What are the things I learned? You know, they, they were very, uh, very, very kind to me. But one of the things that I learned out of that, cranberry plants grown in Massachusetts is the capital of Cranberries, oh, Massachusetts, right. because Ocean Spray is here. But Oregon, same plant, you need 8,000 hours of cold treatment. Oh, right. In Massachusetts, 5,000. Same plant. Right, right. Yes, differently. What I'm saying, the locality makes difference. The locality doesn't mean the temperature. Temperature is the same. But it requires 8,000 there, 5,000 here, because there are other things. The plant can sense better than you and I. We just try to make the house exactly the same way here, exactly the same way there, which is what I was talking about earlier, uniformity. Yes. We try to create uniformity because that's convenient to us. But plants don't look for that. You know, reality is not like, there is no uniform thing. Yeah. You know, it's, the things are changing. So going back to this, how to create epistemology is to learn from animals. So animals 
they are learned that when animal sick, first thing it starts eating. Secondly, when it feels better, however that sense works, it only eats certain plants, not all the plants. So they found out that for this kind of problem, this animal eats this. So we learn from the animal. We don't be thinking that we are great people. The only, uh, the only thing I think there is a greatness in human beings, if we can agree to that and realize that, is that we have the sense of knowing how much we don't know. Right, right, absolutely. Yeah. And, and if we did that, I think we will be doing a great ontology yes. and we'll follow a great epistemology. Absolutely. Um, so you, uh, this is my last question, and it's only fitting that you know, Karl or time, as uh, in the ancient Indic, uh, you know, thought was so preeminent, so important. Um, you mentioned about Roger Penrose, and uh, obviously, I have I have met him myself in Cambridge, uh, and I obviously he's a very very kind of eminent uh, you know professor of uh, uh, physics who has given this idea of cyclic cosmology, uh, the whole model that you know there is uh, the progression from the Big Bang. Uh, to the big crunch and to the big bang again and so on so the universe comes out of a you know singularity it expands it then again contracts and goes back into a singularity and then it keeps on happening uh, and you mentioned it, i think in one of your writings and even uh, today about the whole cyclicity of time right so um, i'm very curious as to how you kind of you know uh, what would motivate you i mean i have some thoughts on this matter uh, because Roger Penrose also, when he talks about the cyclicity, he's rather talking about a certain kind of uh, linearity still. I mean, it's not, it's not circular, it's cyclic rather, uh, whereas you talk about circular time, essentially. Um, so I would like to know your thoughts about that as well. So I, I, I think, um, the first of all, the, the, in terms of uh, aeroness or uh, a straight uh, movement of time, it is when you when you fix the the the, the moment uh, for a certain period, you know the whatever you know. If you are if you are looking for uh, my lifetime, yeah, it's moving in arrow. But if you are moving, maybe millions of people uh, after me, uh, maybe millions of generations, uh, that may not be arrow. It's just like you know the the land looks flat where I am, but it's really not <laughs> because we know that the earth is. And I mean, some people in America, they still have a society, the, the no, flat earth society. The flat <laughs> yes. society. They still think that we are scientists, scientists yes. are fooling them because you know, they, they want to believe in that. And that's okay. I think they, if they didn't exist, I think I wouldn't be as, as useful or as knowledgeable. <laughs> I'm glad that they, they, they do exist. So, so that is that one. In terms of, uh, I, I started, I got fascinated with the yuga. Right. And uh, so I, I, and I started following the yuga. There is some cyclic behavior, geo, geothermal behavior uh, in, this, uh, in the galaxy, of course. You know, everything moves. And then also the earth moves. So everything is kind of a cycle. And I, uh, I picked up on that, like there is an um, uh, ice age, for example. So even, even I'm, I'm not talking about you know the the whole universe that Penrose is talking about just just to understand because like it's a, we have to start from whatever we know yeah. so we know that there is a season of course and then there is a this the cycle of um, uh, cold uh, ice age that comes everything becomes very cold and then slowly begins again and we are in some cycle of uh, the latest yeah. I think 30 40 thousand years ago that was an ice right. age. So it's it like there is a cycle. Everything goes in cycle. 
and that's why i think i was i was initially thinking about that in my late my late thinking is little bit different actually i'm not uh, just only cyclic and circular i was thinking about circular at that time uh, cyclic is is a different yes. now coming from biology background and 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 something i got very fascinated with uh, something called beauty okay. and i i i have a, a sari agent was my inspiration okay. you know the why that these days people wear don't wear that much sari but they used to and 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 um, and then i i thought about that as a helix right. you know in the dna yes. so there is a pitch right so it is not circular it is not cyclic but it is helical yes. right. and helical gives and as the sari gives the beauty also because when women wear it even men's when they wear it there is some it's not a exactly cyclic well it is cyclic but it is especially it is helical and helical is the beauty and so now i think of the time not circular but and cyclic of course but helical particularly so time there is a always pitch so something is going to be different is not going to be the same there will be repeat of certain things but the we have changed and everything has changed so i now i think uh, i if it, nobody has used this time this phrase before then i think that the world moves in helical the size that's interesting helical helical sense there is a circular uh, cyclic then it's helical side yeah i mean well there are people who have mentioned about various things i mean there are the time there are two two time dimensions in some theories of physics uh, there is this whole idea that uh, you know there is a trajectory which can be uh, cyclic but it also is has certain variations so maybe that can reconcile with your idea of the you know the helical um, nature of time um professor balram yeah. this was a wonderful interaction that helped us explore a number of aspects i mean relating to ayurved uh, modern science along with a discussion on reconciling you know ancient and uh, contemporary explorations into the very nature of reality and uh, i particularly was fascinated by some of the ideas exchanged um thank you professor balram for addressing the various facets of the subject thank you very much for asking those questions <laughs> i think that's one of the thing that happens to some of us who have been younger for longer time uh to to stop asking questions <laughs> so i think when when people start start asking question yeah. i think that just makes me at least i feel it makes me uh, more learned as a part of it because i learned together thank you so much for this opportunity i do hope that we can all bring together a comprehensive uh, contemporary understanding and usage of you know ancient indian uh, you know knowledge particularly in ayurved and the exploration of nature of reality itself for the betterment and advancement of mankind itself namaskar very much looking forward to it namaste